Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of Push Dose EMS, your monthly educational offering from the Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management. I'm your host, Jeff Madgett, the Clinical Education and QA Manager. Joining me today on our list of usual suspects, I have System Medical Director, Dr. Ben Weston. Dr. Weston, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Uh, EMS Division Director, Dan Pojar. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Uh, EMS Fellows, Dr. Aaron McGlynn. Dr. McGlynn, welcome and happy birthday. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, our other EMS Fellow, Dr. Nick Wachlinski. Dr. Wachlinski, welcome. Hello. Hello. And a special guest on this month's episode, uh, Dr. Renee Fouts. Dr. Fouts, welcome. Good morning, all. I thank everybody for joining us today. Moving into some different discussion areas, which we'll get into in just a moment. But as per usual, we'll start with some updates. So from medical direction, Dr. Weston, anything for the system? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I think uh, rather than updates, I actually want to focus on the topic of this podcast because I think it's really important. Uh, And I'm really pleased to be able to provide this podcast topic uh, to our system. You know, we have a lot of education about patient care guidelines, uh, protocols, medications, procedures, uh, and so on. But but the toll that seeing these at times horrific events day in and day out takes on our frontline providers can often get lost uh, in all that kind of standard routine education. So this podcast will focus on delivering bad news to a patient. We have Dr. Fouts, a special guest with an incredible amount uh, of expertise on this important topic. Uh, And I think it's important to remember that how you deliver this news not only affects that patient, and that patient's family and how they experience and remember that event. But it affects you as well, whether you know it or not, the way you deliver that news, the closure you provide that patient, and to some degree yourself uh, is really critical. So uh, I'll hand it back to you, Jeff, and I'm excited to uh, hear from our speaker, uh, from our guest, and share this information with the rest of our system. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Weston. And for the system, Dan, any updates? Yeah, Jeff, just a couple updates here. Uh, the Zoll AccuVent study uh, is continuing to progress nicely. Please continue to apply the sensor and uh, make sure those cases are uploaded for any out-of-hospital cardiac arrest that meets the, the inclusion criteria. So far, we've had uh, a quite a good success of utilization of that sensor in the field, so you guys are all doing a great job out there. Continue to, to do the great work. One update and reminder for the upcoming PDDOSE study. So right now, the study has started at multiple sites across the country. The only action needed from EMS, if a patient's family inquires about the study, provide them the business card and have them talk to the study team through through Children's Hospital. Uh, there is no clinical intervention being done any different than uh, what you are normally doing. Uh, when the time comes for any change in clinical care, we'll communicate that and make that very clear to the system. And then finally, uh, the image trend integration project is finally kicking off. So over the next few months here, we will start to see some changes to the technology of image trends. So some additional analytics tools will become available. And also it'll make some field operations easier, especially when it comes to sharing calls across borders and between agencies. And I'm also excited for this topic today. This is a skill that's definitely learned. Um, with time and takes some some craftsmanship to really uh, nail down. So thank you, Dr. Faust, for coming and talking to us. Thank you, Dan. We have some great introductions from Dr. Weston and Dan. So without further ado or any other preamble, I will turn it over to our doc. So Dr. McGlynn, Wuklinski, and Dr. Fouts, the floor is yours. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. 
So as uh, Dr. Weston and, uh, and Director Pojar kind of mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about death notification here today. We are no strangers to death notification in the pre-hospital field. Uh, the termination of resuscitation guidelines allows us to cease futile attempts at resuscitating a patient who is not anticipated to survive or have a meaningful recovery. Now, why this helps reduce unnecessary resuscitation efforts, it means that you as the pre-hospital providers are now burdened with delivering this bad news to families. This is not a straightforward process and requires deliberate training in order to properly share such unfortunate news with patients' loved ones. This type of training often takes a backseat to many other aspects of pre-hospital education, but it is really important to your work and to your personal well-being. So we wanted to cover it in a podcast this week. So like Nick mentioned, this is a really important topic. We'd encourage you to think about a time that you received some bad news. Most of us remember moments like being told someone that we love died for the rest of our lives. You, as the person delivering that news, will be a part of people's memories. You don't want to make that moment worse for somebody by sounding uncaring or lacking empathy, and you don't want to be another bad memory in that terrible time. There's no particular script to follow when delivering this kind of news. It's really all about how the news is delivered. As Dr. Mugan's kind of saying, that there's no right thing to say, but there are a lot of wrong things that you can say. Maya Angelou said that people remember how you made them feel, but not exactly what you said. Therefore, that conversation regarding the death of a loved one will have lasting impacts based on how you made the loved ones feel. Additionally, these conversations and situations also have an impact on you as the providers. Death notification has been associated with provider burnout, but proper education and preparation may help lessen that likelihood. Many providers, pre-hospital and within the hospital, wish they had more training in this area. So there's a couple ways to approach these situations and a couple of very clever mnemonics commonly used to help improve these tough interactions. The two most common mnemonics are spikes and grieving. They're pretty similar, so we're only gonna cover the spikes mnemonic here, but feel free to read up on grieving on your own time and use whichever you're more comfortable with. The main themes are things like gathering the family or loved ones in a safe and quiet place, giving some background on what happened and what was done, using the words dead or died, avoiding jargon, and showing empathy. Finally, we want to acknowledge that this aspect of your jobs can take a toll on mental health. We won't discuss that in depth today, but stay tuned for this month's newsletter and some content next month on mental health and EMS work. So as you can imagine, this is a pretty heavy and complex topic, so we wanted to call in for some help today. Our special guest on the podcast this month is Dr. Renee Faust. Dr. Faust is an assistant professor of emergency medicine and medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin, specializing in palliative and hospice care. She completed her residency in emergency medicine and her fellowship in palliative care at MCW, so she is well-versed in the world of emergency medicine in the Milwaukee area and can lend a unique perspective on the intersection of palliative care in, in the pre-hospital setting. We are thrilled to have her on the podcast today to lend us her expertise. Dr. Faust, thanks so much for being here and taking the time to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really love to talk about this topic as it is such an important skill for anyone who breaks bad news to patients and their families to learn. So Dr. Faust, we wanted to pick your brain a little bit on this so we can give our EMS providers some tools for having these difficult discussions. What are some general concepts you would like them to know? When I teach breaking bad news, I start off by reminding people of the different ways we communicate and the importance of each of those. The first is listening. Most of us tend to be bad at listening. We tend not to spend much time listening or allowing silence when talking to patients and families, and instead we feel compelled to try and fill the silence. Often there isn't anything good to say, but listening can be very meaningful and is a great way to show support. Everyone we know feels appreciated when they're listened to. 
I emphasize the importance of pausing and allowing silence after breaking bad news. I count to at least 10, and some people count to 30 before saying anything to allow people time to process what has been said and to allow them to speak first if they want. And that pause can definitely feel like forever and can be quite uncomfortable. I use it when talking with patients in the ED to help give them space to tell their full story or to reflect on information being given to them. As healthcare providers, we talk really fast and most of us do not like these awkward silences, but it can be quite powerful to allow them to happen. That's very true. And the second way that we communicate is by our body language. It's important that we pay attention to it because our patients and our families do. They can see when we are itching to leave the room or get away from them. If at all possible, sit or kneel when breaking bad news. Be present and be engaged. One medic told me that he never sits because you never know what you're sitting on or if you might need to run. And I really do get that, but sometimes you know that it's safe, so I think it's important to take the time to sit down with people. A third way that we communicate is, of course, language. It's really important to give information in small chunks. It's also very important that we watch our jargon. I often share how Rudy Giuliani thought his positive prostate biopsy years ago was a good thing. You don't want people to misunderstand or not get it when you say that someone died. So it's really important that we use the D word. One medic told me a family member walked up to him and asked him how the patient was. He said, very simply, he's dead. Later, his crew told him that that sounded harsh, but he knew that he was supposed to be clear and use the D word. I told him it's all about the packaging. You know, before we break bad news, we give a warning shot and then we follow with empathy, which is something that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, in my experience, using the words dead or died can seem really harsh and awkward in these situations, but I definitely feel like the family needs to hear it and it is a big part of the coping process. You don't want to leave any room for misinterpretation when telling someone their loved one has died. I might seem insensitive, but there are some really great tools out there to help you approach and deliver bad news. We'll dive deeper into the spikes mnemonic now. The letters stand for setting, perception, invitation, knowledge, emotion or empathy, and summarize. Dr. Fouts, can you tell us a little more about spikes and how it applies here? Sure. As you said, the first part of spikes is the setting. When breaking bad news, if possible, you want to try and find a quiet location. You want to limit distractions, such as the crew cleaning up around you, and you want to sit down or kneel and also turn down your radio or hand off your phone if you, and radio if you can. The P stands for perception. This is actually a new one to many of the medics that I've taught this to, and they said that they hadn't learned it but liked it. Now, obviously, if you go into a situation and a wife is doing CPR on her husband, it may not be appropriate or necessary to ask her understanding of what's going on. But when you have a family that comes on a scene late, or if they just don't understand what is going on beyond that their loved one wouldn't wake up or was breathing funny, there are some questions you can ask to gauge their perception. Things like, what do you know? Or what have you heard about what happened to your husband? Or tell me what you know or have heard. Tell me how he had been doing before we were called. This is important so we all are on the same page. I often tell the story of the, I believe it was the second time that I did a death notification in the emergency department. It was a 17 year old with a gunshot wound to the chest. I didn't ask the family about perception when I went to speak with them. I think in my own naive mind, I thought that the family knew that he was shot in the chest and CPR was going on, but in retrospect, they may have only known that he was shot and perhaps thinking or hoping that it was just in the foot or the hand or something like that. And then here I come in and I just say he had died. I can tell you that was not a good situation. And this family was really overwhelmed with emotion after hearing the news. And I never actually had the chance to explain to them what happened. Yeah, Dr. Powers, I actually have a similar story on that vein. I 
couple years ago, I had a, we had a guy that came in who was struck by a car. He had lost pulses en route and we were working him for a while in the bay. And we ended up terminating just because, you know, he wasn't going to survive. And when I went to address the family, I simply led with your dad, husband, et cetera, is dead. And that did not end well. The family was very upset. Last they had heard, he was still breathing and was alive when they took him from the scene. And they had no idea that he had uh, indeed died. I just assumed they knew that this had happened. I don't think there was any way for the family to take this well, but I definitely could have approached it better. I still think about that to this day and how I could have approached it better. And that's why, and it's a great example as to why having these go-to scripts is so crucial. Yeah, I can tell you, I still think about my situation as well. It's something that has stuck with me and something that I wish I could go back and change. Um, The next letter in the spike mnemonic is invitation. Is it okay if I share what I know, update you, talk with you about what has happened? When I've taught this to another EMS agency, I actually kind of glossed over it thinking it wasn't applicable to them. And then the chief took me aside and he said, you know, sometimes little kids may be in the room or sometimes the whole whole neighborhood shows up. So it's not a bad idea to ask if it's okay to talk there or if it's okay if other people be present. The next letter in the spike mnemonic is K for knowledge. It's important to share what you know. Again, it's very important to watch jargon and to give information in small chunks so people have time to process it. Because remember, their minds are likely racing in that moment. Make sure that you're being clear and concise. Try not to ramble on too long, which I think a lot of us have a habit of doing. People often know that something bad is coming and their anxiety is already building. So you want to get to the point. Now, right before breaking bad news, I always explain to people the importance of giving a warning shot, something like, I'm sorry, I have bad news. I wish I had different news. I'm sorry to tell you. And then say your loved one has died. Be sure and share what you know about the situation and what you did before giving the warning shot and breaking the bad news. Once you give the warning shot, they're not likely to hear much of anything else that you said as they're waiting for that bad news. You want them to have the information about what happened before you leave. You don't want to leave with them wondering what happened once they have time to get over the initial shock of that news. The next letter in the spike mnemonic is E for empathy or emotion. Once you give the bad news, it's really important to be silent and allow people to absorb what you said. And again, count if you need to, but try really hard not to fill that silence. Ideally, they will be the one to speak next when they are ready. They may ask things now like, why did this happen? Are you sure? What am I going to do? And you can't answer all of those questions. And most of the time, it's just people trying to process what happened. I respond with phrases like, I can't imagine how difficult this is, or I wish I had different news, or I can't imagine how hard this must be. Now, you can say I'm sorry, but just make sure it sounds sincere and not flippant. For instance, I am so sorry rather than just sorry or I'm sorry. It's okay to offer also to call a family member to be with them if the person is alone. Now, finally, the last letter in the spike mnemonic is S standing for summarize, or also you might think of this as the plan. It's always important before you leave a situation to make sure you talk about what happens next with the body and also make sure that you ask them if they have any questions. That was a great review of the spike mnemonic. That's really helpful and I think really puts this in perspective. Since we have a little bit of time, we have a couple questions we're hoping you could answer. The first one I have is what are some common mistakes you see providers make with breaking bad news? Sure. Um, One common mistake that I see people make is not appearing present or engaged in the moment. If we don't check ourselves, our tone, facial expression, and posture are ways we can appear disengaged and like we're in a hurry to get away from people. And we certainly don't want uh, people to have that perception. 
Another really common mistake I see is people using jargon. I see this all the time. So it's really important to think very carefully about the words that we're using. As in medicine, we have our own language that a lot of people don't understand. Another mistake that I see is not allowing silence and rambling. Um, it's something that I think a lot of us commonly do in any sort of uncomfortable situation. And certainly breaking bad news is one of those situations. Another mistake people make is trying to answer questions that we can't, like, why did this happen? Or what am I going to do? We can't answer those questions. And then finally, another mistake that I see people commonly make is not using empathy statements. It's important to show that you care and that you're there to support them. Yeah, those are all great uh, tidbits. I, I definitely am a culprit of making those mistakes from time to time. And, you know, I have to remind myself of how to kind of uh, approach the situations. So kind of on that vein then, so what are some common phrases or terms you suggest providers avoid when breaking bad news, if any? A common thing that I see is people say something like, I understand or I know. And it's really important to avoid those because we don't know what people are going through or what their situation is like. Even if we've had a similar experience of our own, everybody's experience is different. That's really helpful. Um, I know you kind of touched on this, but um, I think it is tricky when people ask those questions that we know we can't answer, like, why did this happen or what am I going to do? Do you have any good sort of responses that people can jump to if they're asked something like that? Yes, I have just really one statement that I use that usually is pretty helpful in any situation like that. And it's the I wish statement. I wish I could answer that question for you. Okay, good. That's really helpful. What do you think about trying to provide an explanation about why the person died? For example, sometimes we hear about a case where a patient maybe had a cardiac arrest and and maybe it seems like it was bad COPD with hypoxia that caused it. Is that something providers should be trying to explain in the field or should we direct them toward the medical examiner or someone else for details? I think it's best to direct people to the medical examiner and or the patient's primary care provider as they can oftentimes shed some additional information um, that we may not have when we're initially seeing patients in an emergent situation. What you don't wanna do is give them the wrong information. And you know, I think we all know that it can be really hard for us even in the emergency department when we have access sometimes to some test results to really know truly why a patient died. Oh, great. Well, Dr. Fox, thank you so much for your time and taking the time to chat with us today. That's about all the time we have today, so we'll wrap up our content. Keep an eye out for the newsletter for other tools you can use when delivering bad news. As we mentioned, this can and does take a toll on providers, so we welcome and encourage you to reach out after any difficult cases to discuss and debrief. As always, you're all doing amazing work, and we appreciate each and every one of you and for what you do. Until next time, take care. Docs, thank you so much. Special thank you to Dr. Fouts for taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule to be with us today uh, and provide some really great information on a topic that doesn't get discussed nearly often enough in our field. So it is greatly appreciated. Thanks to everyone else who was able to join us today. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen this month. Uh, We look forward to next month and some more interesting topics. If ever you have uh, a thought or a question, a concern, a topic idea for this podcast, please feel free to reach out EMS education at milwaukeecountywi.gov. And we will certainly take a look at trends and themes that are going around out around the county. So with that, stay safe. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next month.